Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Malaman. I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. And I'm Rabbi Bluth. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. And what it means to be Jewish and human in today's world. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. And the way we feel about stuff. And we'll try to be as real as possible. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. And maybe we'll even come out being better people for it. Welcome to Sacred Tongue, a podcast from Living Jewishly where we explore the healing art of the Hebrew calendar. My name is Bluth. And my name is Ganga Devi. And together we are exploring the wisdom in each of the 12, this year, 13 months of the Hebrew calendar as they relate to our lives today. Our intention for this podcast is that it be rooted in tradition, blossom into relevance in the present moment, and lead us all into the ripening of a beautiful Jewish future. Welcome to the podcast for the month of Adar, part two. Part two. Misha, 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 Misha. We're like a month and a half into our two months of joy right now. <laughs> and if anyone's listening to this right when it right when it's dropped, we are we are in the hang the Purim hangover moment. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. I think you know we'll 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 get a little bit more into the into the post Purim hangover <laughs> beauty moment, uh, the opportunity for integration that we have. But before we dive into that. Tell us a little bit about Adar. What can we what can we learn about the name of Adar? What can we learn about this time from from the ancients? So Adar is the twelfth or this year the thirteenth month. We're in Adar Bet, the second month of Adar. It is the last month of the Hebrew calendar. And just as a refresher, we have four new years. So you many can count new years. <laughs> many new years. And the the actual Hebrew the months start in Nisan, the month of Passover, which is next month, which means that 12 or 13 months later, we have Adar. So the Jewish calendar does not start with Rosh Hashanah, like some may believe that is actually Tishrei, which is the seventh month. So Adar is the last month of the year. It is a month associated with goofiness, with laughter, with some sort of concluding chaos, I would say, before we start the calendar cycle again, and before we head into the order, the seder of Passover. And Adar, it's always nice to look to the name of something. And if we look to the name of the month of Adar, we have three letters. And if you break them up, it's Aleph, Dar, like A, Dar. Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet. Aleph is mystically connected to Alufo Shalalam, In Sof. This is the infinite, the sort of ruler of the world. There is an you know, a soundlessness to the letter Aleph. It's like the letter A. It is the letter that comes before the bet, you know, B, bet, two, multiplicity. Aleph is one. Aleph is oneness. Aleph is what sort of precedes all in some ways. The Torah itself starts with the letter bet, right? Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God created. And there's something about that, that in the process of creation, in the beginning of the Torah, which is the word, we have multiplicity, we have two, we have duality, we have form, we have this and not that, separation and discernment and all of that. And what precedes the bet is the aleph, is the ah uh, sound, is this 
letter that actually symbolizes godliness. It symbolizes infinitude. It symbolizes the ultimate reality. And even in the letter Aleph, you know, I like to say that the Aleph is sort of like the Jewish yin-yang. It is a letter that has like one arm kind of reaching up to the sky and one arm reaching down to the earth. It's the connector. It's a sort of unifier of balancing of dualities into one unified letter. And just to keep going on the Aleph train for one minute here, you know, <laughs> I didn't expect it to. <laughs> Please, that. I'm loving it. The Aleph is also, if you broke up the actual image of the letter, you have two Yuds, like two little letters with a line above connecting them. Now, if you want to Google, you know, the letter Aleph, so you know what I'm talking about, you can follow along. But the in in Hebrew, th- there's something called gematria, which is all of the Hebrew letters have their numerical equivalent. So A is one, B is two, etc. And and it's a way to interpret and find interpret and find patterns and connections between words. What is their numerical value? What does that symbolize? And so on. And the Aleph is interesting because Aleph is one. Like I said, oneness. It's like the one and the infinite at the same moment. But if you look at the actual shape of the Aleph, it has these two yuds and above. And so each of the yud is has the val each yud has a value of ten. So ten plus ten is twenty. And the Vav has a numerical value of six, twenty-six. Now the gematria of twenty-six actually matches up with the gematria of the name of God that we don't pronounce, the Yud He and Vav He. And so this Aleph, not only is it one, and it's the one that comes before two, etc., but it is, even in its form, it is holding the yud ke ke the infinite name of God, the sort of Kabbalistic, limitless verb which combines was, is, and will be all into one. So the Aleph is a powerful little letter. And if we look at the month of Adar, and, you know, you have to laugh with everything about Adar, because in some ways, you know, even what I'm talking about, it's like heavy and mystical and serious, but it's it's Adar, you know, so it's there's a goofiness to it. If you look at the word for Adar, it says Aleph Dar, which means that Aleph dwells. The infinite, the godly, this godliness, this infinitude dwells. And it's a reminder that in this month, as in all months, but we bring our attention to it now, that the Shechina, that godliness is dwelling all around us that even though we are often not operating from that consciousness, not seeing godliness all around us necessarily, that underneath it all, this Aleph is pervading all, that is. And, you know, we're coming off of Purim now, you know, when we'll be listening to this podcast. And Purim, in some ways, is about hiddenness. There's this idea of hester panim, that, that God wasn't mentioned in the story of Purim that the name Esther is like Hester, it's this hiddenness. There's something very mysterious. We put on masks in order to hide our outer, to let whatever is inward kind of come and pour out of us. You know, they say you drink, you take in wine and you reveal your secrets. And so in this month that concludes our year, in some ways, we have this all-pervading Aleph, and yet we have a holiday that is like the one holiday that doesn't even mention the name of God. And so there is inherent in this time, this sort of paradox, this kind of duality of there's unity, but there's duality, there's human involvement, and there's like this godly story, but God isn't in the 
story of Purim, but yet it was so miraculous. And in some ways, it feels like the epitome of this, you know, the story of, of miracle and of surviving, like how our tradition paints that as like the most sort of godly in a way. Yeah. But it's all happening through the stories, through the characters, through Esther and Mordecai and so on. Yeah, it strikes me that in the absence of God being explicitly present in any particular way, you know, like God isn't speaking or doing something in particular, it speaks to how like the the body of what is unfolding is the body of God is the is the presence of God. Yeah, the the absence just as you're saying like the the Ein Sof is the is the presence. That's beautiful. I love that. And, you know, I think almost every month you go into a bit of an explanation of the the power of the letters at the heart of each of the months. And I know that that is really drawing from and building from the the wisdom of the Sefer Yetzirah. And just in case other people don't know, that's a really incredible text that that dives deeply into the the wisdom and the meaning of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And I just want to share that as I'm learning and studying all of this, I am returning to a creative practice of needlepoint, of embroidery. And I'm embroidering and connecting with the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet as talismans and as like protective amulets and and in, as a way of connecting with it. And I just want to encourage people to like allow yourself to like be creative and joyful and wild and the things that you are like desiring to learn more about in Judaism. I just really want to encourage you to, to, to make it your own and to, to get creative and, and really like, yeah, enjoy the process of, of experimenting with whatever it is that you might be wanting to, to learn within the tradition because there are infinite ways of connecting with it. And, and that can be really joyful. So that's, that's my little nugget of, of, of yeah. sweet joy in this moment of Adar. Yeah. And, and I'll just build on that. You mentioned the Sefer Yitzira. I just want to bring up that you're right to say each month has a letter associated with it. I know I started talking about the Aleph simply because the Aleph is in the name of the month of Adar itself. But the month that is actually, the, sorry, the letter that is actually associated with the month, according to this mystical Kabbalistic book, is the letter Kuf. And the Kuf, like the Kuf, is the monkey, which is a goofy letter. And the beauty of having a month with a holiday in it is that the holiday infuses the entire month with the energy of the holiday. And as we come off of Purim, come out of Purim, we are invited into this energy that is saying, okay, the pinnacle of this month is the crazy chaotic joy of Purim. And now how do we, how do we integrate that into the rest of our lives? And how do we infuse that energy in, you know, whatever follows Purim? How do we sort of draw from that? It's like, how do we draw from Shabbat into the rest of the week? How do we draw from Purim and take the little kernel, you know, I'm picturing sort of like essential oils, like the essence of a flower essence. How do we take the essence of Purim with us into what comes beyond? How do we do that integration and that kind of connecting to the sweetness of the month, that little kernel that the month offers us? Here we are, post Purim, Aleph Dar, you know, Hashem, God, divine, ultimate reality, Ein Sof, call it whatever, is is dwelling in our in our midst. Where do we go from here? Yeah, beautiful. So, you know, this just brings to mind how do we integrate anything. And I know that you and and Elliot and Ami Silver had a really amazing conversation about psychedelics and Purim and 
talking a little bit about about integration, I think that we can always learn a lot from the the ever innovating world of of psychedelic research and facilitation to to learn a lot about how to integrate experiences of intensity and if nothing else, I would say Purim is certainly an experience of intensity. <laughs> it is one of of joy, celebration, wildness, consumption, <laughs> you know, behavior change through costuming and pageantry, so many amazing things. And when we have intense experiences, it's really important to take some time to be slow afterward, to be slow, to reflect to voice those reflections. I find that communication is really, really important for integration, not just communicating with others and hearing what other people have to say, but also communicating with yourself, right? Dropping into deep breath, dropping into your parasympathetic nervous system, dropping into ways that your body can communicate with itself, that your mind can resettle and reland back into relationship with the body. And I think that journaling is like a really, really powerful, helpful way of, of processing integration, right? Like we're in a constant state of in the, the language of systems theory, flux equilibrium. We have these experiences that bring us into flux, into, into new divergent encounters and experiences in our lives. And that's what Purim and other beautiful experiences bring us into. They, they change us from the static day to day, the ordinary that we have, they bring us into a state of flux. And then we are in, we are asked and tasked to integrate that flux into a new equilibrium. And that's how evolution unfolds. That's how, that's how life unfolds. That's how systems dynamically evolve. That's how growth happens. That's how growth of systems at all levels, whether it's a galaxy, whether it's a human body, whether it's a city, whether it's a bioregion, all living systems grow and adapt and change in this way. And so when we're coming from a state of flux back into equilibrium, there are so many things that we can do. And I think that it's a mitzvah on Purim to get really drunk. And so I think that for a lot of people, their bodies don't give them much of a choice, but to be really slow and to, to really like be challenged to do the things that help you to get back into equilibrium, to drink a lot of water, to sleep, <laughs> to take it easy, you know? Right. As we said at the beginning, this is the hangover. The yeah, hangover. The hangover. How, to, <laughs> how to nurse how to nurse your Purim hangover yeah. and of course for anyone listening you know all like kidding aside and if you tuned into the podcast the living jewishly podcast with myself elliot and ami that gangadevi the gangadevi referenced you'll know that there are different ways to accomplish Purim. of course it can be done without drinking if you hate Purim or if drinking is uncomfortable you know of course we just intend all of these conversations to be with like a lot of gentleness and yeah. safety. So yes. And all that aside, we're sort of kidding and on the Purim hangover train right now. But it also is a reality. You know, it's not, it's not that it's something that everyone needs to be experiencing, but I think that it's fair to, to, to acknowledge that, <laughs> that, that literal, literal hangover and also figurative hangover can be the, the realities that we're encountering. And of course, we encourage everyone to, to do what's right for you <laughs> and, and not anything other than that. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, you know, like in that, in that process of slowing down, restabilizing, coming back to center and also communicating as all as important elements of integration. You know, like, I'm curious to anyone listening, what in that 
kind of menu of integration options seems good to you right now. Can you take a couple of deep breaths? Can you take a sip of water? Can you stretch your body a little bit? Do you need to take a nap? Or perhaps do you want to talk to someone about some really cool ideas or some joyful experiences that you might have had just in reading the Megillah, if you did that this year, or in in enjoying the the festivities of Purim, or perhaps while you were fasting, some some really interesting, delightful insights came. So there there is a minor fast that some people do before Purim, and in my experience, there have been times where fasting can feel very serious and very like grave and very solemn, and also fasting can kind of bring forward like a giddiness and a delirious, joyful sweetness as well. There is a lot of insights that can come from fasting. You know, of course, fasting is a significant part of many Jewish holidays. And yeah, so there's there's many vehicles and 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 moments that insight and experience can happen in the experience of Purim. And all of them are worth talking about. All of them are worth reflecting on. All of them are worth journaling about and conveying to whether it's yourself bringing them in those experiences deeper into your body or sharing them with others so that you can learn from one another and you can again like more deeply embody those experiences that you had these are all really beautiful vehicles for integration and i'm curious i'd love to hear from people what sticks out to you what what calls out to you as a as a method of integration from your poem experience for whatever reason, I am called to wonder about the feasting of Purim. We have these mishtes, we have these suda, you know, the Purim suda, and so much of our of Jewish ritual holiday celebration and life cycle celebration actually have to do with the suda mitzvah, you know, the, the, the mitzvah's meal. At a wedding, we have a meal that sort of concretizes the significant event that's happening. And that's where my mind goes, like, what is it like to feast with a bunch of people or to feast alone? And then how does that shape my relationship with food and abundance and all these sorts of things? So there's the hangover piece. On Purim, of course, there's the the charitable piece. We give Mishloach Manot. We, we're, we're sort of giving gifts of food to each other. We're having these feasts together. And there's also a custom, I think I mentioned it in Adar Aleph, that if anyone asks you for tzedakah on Purim, on Purim, you give matanot levionim, so you give you give like gifts to those who are impoverished. And if anyone asks you for charity on that day, you're supposed to give without without discernment. You're just supposed to give and give and give and give and give. And so, yeah, how do you come to the day after Purim, the day after you party, the day after you give, the day after you transcend your ordinary consciousness, and the day the day after you feast? What do we do today? <laughs> what do we do today? I mean, you've, you've given, you know, in some ways you gave yeah. us our, you, you already told <laughs> us, right? You said we could talk about it. We could write about it, drink water. We could nap. We could exercise. We could do all these things. Yeah. But I guess the question is a little bigger. It's like, how do we integrate in the way that we are constantly living in relationship with these sweet high moments that we have? Yeah. Yeah. What comes to mind is like, there's a gentler joy that's available to us. There's like that big, bold, ecstatic joy that is much more easy to identify. And then there's the quieter joy, the joy of, you know, I'm just going to go lay under a tree for a part of this afternoon and let the sun and the wind touch my face and allow that to be a simple joy. And there's the joy of taking a sip of water and remembering that water is life. And there's a simple joy in 
you know, in, in just bringing, bringing these simple joys into our daily life. Like that is what integration is. Like integration is taking those big, big, bold, huge things and integrating them, bringing them, bringing them into our lives in real and practical and beautiful ways. And all of us have completely unique, precious lives. And all of us have a unique creativity, you know, just as I'm, I'm integrating knowledge of the letters of this incredible alphabet through needle and thread in my own way. We all have a unique creativity that can allow us to, to bring the magic, the power, the joy, the insights, whatever it is more fully into our daily lives. It doesn't have to just be something that exists every day. It's like we can harvest the seeds. We can harvest the the nuggets of these big, beautiful moments and bring them into our daily lives. That's how we grow as people. So how do we exist with complexity? Because the world is complex and there's so much suffering in our faces right now. You know, we're watching war unfold. If you take even a minute to go there, it is overwhelming with grief. We have a lot of conspiracy theory in the world right now. And I think that has to do with an inability to hold, to face the reality of of humanity in some ways and the need to sort of simplify and deny and all that kind of stuff. We have all this pain at the same time. And that's where I kind of look back to that, you know, Alif Dar and Hester Panim, these two modalities of, of, of like revealment and concealment of hiddenness and of, you know, explicitness. How do we hold and take these integrated nuggets, the joy and the sorrow together? And how do we be happy when, I mean, everyone's asking these questions now, and I don't think they're so profound, but just tapping into our own joy when so much of the world is suffering. How do we use our, those of us who are in a place of safety and stability and abundance? How do we then anchor emotionally, financially, those who are literally in war right now, you know, those who are grieving. And so there's something about Purim, you know, Purim isn't denying, it is an ecstatic collective moment. And that does offer us something to hold in the soft joy and maybe also in the soft sadness so we can be whole. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, we can't, we, we can't ignore the fact that the reason, the proportion, the proportion of joy of Purim, like it's directly proportionate to the terror of what was avoided in Purim, which is, you know, in the the rare instance in the history of the Jewish people that genocide was avoided, that is a huge cause for celebration, perhaps even more so because of all of the horrible times that 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 it wasn't avoided as well, you know? And I think, you know, I was I was just reading this weekend some of the really amazing metaphysics philosophy of Forrest Landry, who I think is one of the most brilliant living thinkers today. One of, there are many amazing living thinkers today, but he's really amazing. He was talking about in this, in this piece about how, you know, joy and pain, we are two sides of the same experience that we, that we can only experience joy to the extent that we allow ourselves to be, to be willing to feel pain and that they don't depend upon one another. There's a lot of really precise clarity in the way that he presented it. I don't have the book with me in this moment to reference, but 
there is an intimate relationship between these things. And I think that our willingness to feel, our willingness to be able to feel compassion, like deep, true compassion, our willingness to be able to feel the brokenness of our own hearts in the face of of injustice, violence, warfare, these are really essential to our humanity, to maintaining our own like human dignity and being in touch with our own humanity. It's really important that we allow ourselves to be willing to open to that. And, you know, your question about complexity, I, I don't mean to be like plugging <laughs> one of my businesses, but it's that's literally the question that we are constantly asking in the Enlivened Lab, which is a, a leadership community incubator that I've co-created this last year with an amazing group of people. And we have an incredible cohort going through right now who are just amazing, amazing people. Together, we've been really reflecting on how the the curriculum we've created called Presence Foundations is all about cultivating discernment and being able to be with complexity. And it really, it all comes down to presence, I think. I think it comes down to being willing to be present with what is, to not run away from the challenging emotions or from the joyful emotions or from the like deep, deep sorrow and reality of whatever it is that is present in the moment to be willing and able to be present with discernment and an open heart is no small thing. It's not something that our culture prepares any of us for. It's not something that we're trained to do. We have to help each other. We have to help each other get there because God knows our our, our educational systems don't really support us with that. A lot of our upbringings don't really support us with that, but we can cultivate that together. We can be courageous in our willingness to m- meet the moment with aching, open, broken hearts and allow that to inform the creation of a more beautiful world, a world in which everyone can be joyful, a world in which we can all be in touch with the full range of feeling that is all of our birthright. Khalil Gibran, the poet from Lebanon, in his book, The Prophet, in the poem on joy and sorrow says your joy is your sorrow unmasked and the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears how else can it be the deeper that sorrow carves into your being the more joy you can contain and it goes on and it reminds me that in these moments of integration i think one of the best things we can turn to is poetry and music because sometimes to integrate. It's nice to sort of be carried on a boat of other people's artistry and words and like tender creativity that can carry us as we process whatever is happening inside or outside of us with wholeness and with the courage, the sort of beautiful human courage it takes to, to face all of these things. And on that note, I think this might be the moment to offer to our listeners a sound healing experience offered to you on your Purim hangover, but really in this month that contains multitudes, in this month that contains sort of hiddenness and revelation and joy and chaos as we exist in a world that feels terrifyingly close to obliteration. So we offer this sound healing experience almost as a prayer, I would say, for those who are suffering deeply right now and for all of us to really to be, I don't know, comforted and, and held in peace 
Yes. We want to just invite you to before before we transition into this, if you're able to maybe even pause this for a moment and take a moment to settle into your space, if you are able to lay down or or sit facing the sunshine or a window, if you can get settled into your body, into your space to really just receive this this beautiful sound blessing. Yeah. Yeah, and this so. sound blessing was actually created last year for Adar by myself and the wonderful Temani Yemenite Jewish musician who is from Jerusalem and living in Amsterdam, Galita, who has incredible sound healing journeys and music. And we will link below to, to her work. And she carries us on a journey through some, some reflections on this month. So it begins with music and, and it collects some words. And we hope that it is a healing offering to you and to the world. Enjoy. Enjoy. sacred time is a time of hiddenness and emergence, of chaos and celebration. We look around and are surrounded by oppression, pain, grief, revealed fragility. Hester panim, the hiding. And this month invites us in to search the hidden, into the chaos upside down, teetering on the edge of moments with miracles. Where there is oppression and suppression, joy is an act of resistance, defiant joy. We face reality, collective pain and injustice, and we find the hidden sparks of joy and we raise them up. This is the joy of Purim, a healing joy, a liberating joy that faces all of the darkness and invites it to the feast to wine and dine and shapeshift. A joy that helps us to hope and imagine what is to come that the sea will split, so bring your timbrels until we forget to remember, until we do not know the difference. Our humanness comes from the darkness of the womb. Nahafohu, new futures can be birthed. Mordechai asks Esther, Umiyodea, 
אם עת כזאת הגעת למלכות. מורדכי אסקס קווין אסטר, and who knows if for this moment you became queen, you arrived at this palace. To each of us, perhaps it is for this moment that we are alive. This is your invitation, your opening, your choice. Plant those seeds, resist, bless, and care. Let us rise to the responsibility of this time. Let us co-create and heal and transform through joy. Dear Queen, For this moment, you arrived. We take this breath to allow us transform, to allow us to emerge from within ourselves. Within our pain into the light into inspiration לעת כזאת הגעת לעת כזאת הגעת למלכות. לעת כזאת הגעת למלכות. Oh, anyway, oh, anyway, oh, anyway. 
Nere sare nare Nale simcha Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.